Good morning, church. Oh. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. You know, it's funny. I put that video together, and you'd think I'd remember that it was in the service, but I guess I forgot. How y'all doing this morning? Well, we we, we haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name's Ethan, and I'm the worship pastor here at Shelby Christian, and we are so glad that that y'all have decided to join us this morning. Whether you're here with us in the room or you're watching online, we are so glad that you are here. You know, we're really blessed here at Shelby Christian to have multiple pastors on staff so that our senior pastor uh, can go take a vacation with his family and know that the word of God is still going to be preaching while he's not here. So this morning we've got Jason, our outreach pastor. He's going to be bringing a word from the book of Luke. So we're really excited to hear what God's been showing him through that passage this week. You know, every week here at Shelby Christian, we have the opportunity to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross through communion. And this isn't something we do out of religious obligation. It's not something we do out of tradition. But we do this because Jesus instructed us to do this. So this morning, we're going to take this this bread and this juice and remember him. We're going to start with the juice. And I love what Davis said. You know, Jesus' blood was not spilled out for us. It was poured out for us because if it was spilled out, It seems like it was some sort of accident, but there was no accident in the way that God chose to save us. So let's remember that this morning. And this morning we also take part in in his body. Let's do that today. It's important to remember those things. It's also important to remember that the story doesn't end there. It's important to remember that three days after Jesus' death, that he did rise again. And that when we worship, we worship not from a place of sadness, not from a place of, not from a place of sorrow, but we worship from a place of joy. Because Jesus did rise again. So as we begin to worship this morning, as we get as we begin to sing after I pray, let's all sing from that place. God, we are so thankful this morning for your son, for your blood, God, that covers each and every one of our sins. God, we are so thankful for your body, God, that was broken so that we could be in communion with you, God. Jesus, we praise you this morning, not just because of your death, but for your resurrection, God. That we can stand and sing from a place of joy, from a place of celebration because of what you've done. I pray that you would fill our hearts this morning. Let me pray. Amen.
Great. 
love, 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 love that song because it's such a great reminder, isn't it, of, of, of who's this all is and who it's about. Uh, there's a, there's a um, phrase in there that talks about, you know, the powers of hell won't prevail, right? That, that, that he is the great I am. And I believe more than I've ever believed anything that a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff, the author of all the bad stuff that's going on now comes from hell, comes from Satan. And it comes to destroy and distract and disrupt the church. And we know, because Jesus told us that nothing, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, we were on a, a family vacation with our boys. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we had to take them. But we took our boys uh, on a little vacation, and we went in a souvenir shop. Now, here's the deal. Before you prejudge me about, like, doing this kind of stuff, we tr- really tried to limit ourselves. Okay, we're, we're going to go, like, in one store, one time. You get one shot. We're going to be in and out. Put your mask on. One, two, three. Let's go. Right? So we go in the souvenir shop. And the boys are, they, they, their grandparents give them money to, to, you know, spend on vacation. Maybe you've done that with your kids or grandkids. So, so they both have this money. And then Braden, he's seven, it's burning a hole in his pocket. When can we go see, like, we pull in the first night. When can we go to the souvenir shop? We go, like, let's wait till the end of the week. He's like, no, I want to go now, right? So we finally go to the souvenir shop. And we go in, and they're looking around a little. I was like, don't touch anything until you're like, all right, I think I want to buy this, right? That kind of stuff. And so, um, they're looking around. We're talking about, like, what things cost and how much money they have. And at one point, Brayden looks up to me, and he, I don't know why, because maybe he just saw this wisdom coming from me when it comes to finances. I don't know. But he looks up at me and goes, Dad, are you a millionaire? And uh, I said, no, not yet, son. And uh, Brayden looks at, or Brody, our 12-year-old, almost 12-year-old, looks at Brayden and goes, Brayden, if, if Dad was a millionaire, we'd be rich. And I looked at Brody and said, no, you wouldn't be rich. You'd just be lucky. Right, and so we had this little conversation there for a few minutes about about money. Braden had twenty three dollars, and so he said, "There's this thing that he wanted, a little toy he wanted for the beach, and it was fifteen dollars." And I said, "Okay, Braden, well, if you do that, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna only have a, a few dollars left, you know, like seven dollars, six. You know, you're going to pay tax." I was trying to explain tax and sales tax, those kind of things. And so he's like, "Well, I don't know how to do that." And so then he said, "Well, I want this hat. I want to get this toy, and I want to get this hat." I was like, "Well, that hat's thirty dollars." The toy's 15. You've got 23. That math really doesn't work for you, son. Right? So we had to have this hard lesson, lesson about how much stuff costs and how much you're willing to pay. And it was a good lesson to learn for our boys. This morning, we're going to see a passage of Scripture where Jesus just asked the question, How much are you willing to pay? And before you decide to be my disciple... Before you decide to follow me, before you decide to step across that line, here's what you need to do. You need to understand that there is a cost of following me. There is a cost of discipleship. And so Jesus will say this morning in this passage we're going to look at in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, he will say this, count the cost. He will turn and look at his followers, the crowd, and he will say, you need to count the cost You need to make a decision and understand what you're getting into before you follow me. Because it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be pleasant. There are going to be times where you're going to have to stop and understand that now you have chosen something different. So count the cost. 
The last few weeks, we've been walking through Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 14. What we've seen over the last few weeks is that the church is this place where Jesus meets our needs. Dave talked about that several weeks ago. Then we talked about the fact that the church is this place where we can find truth. And then a couple weeks ago, Kevin talked about this understanding that Jesus leads to this incredible humility and he exalts the humble. And then last week, Kevin talked to us about this church as the church is being a foretaste of this banquet that we will enjoy someday in heaven with Jesus. And so this morning we want to look at the last part, like I said, of Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, have your phone, your tablet, go ahead and open there and look, let's look at Luke chapter 14. And I want to start with verse 25. I want you to notice something right off the bat here. A large crowd was following Jesus, right? And so you, you already immediately get this picture that at this point, this is um, th- this is kind of like every, there's a lot of people. The, the buzz is still around. Jesus is doing a lot of cool things. He's healing people and he's doing these you know the, these things that like people are like wow awed by and, he, and he's saying things that they've never heard before and he's making them think in ways that they've never really thought before. And so there's a large crowd following Jesus. And it, it kind of is, it's kind of this crescendo of like, man, this is kind of getting out of control. This is kind of like a circus, right? So there's this large crowd of people following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, and your sisters, even your own life. Otherwise you cannot be my disciples. Now, now Jesus he knew how to attract a crowd, right? We, we see that in the gospel. But here, he also knows how to disperse a crowd because he immediately says something that he knows, all right, th- 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 there's a lot of people. And he knew that some of them were there just to kind of like enjoy the show. They were just a part of the crowd. And he said, all right, understand that what I'm about is not just a show. It's not just so- something that you can come and be entertained by. But but if you want to be my disciple, here's what it needs to look like in your life. And so he gives this, um, them, um, this analogy. Your love for me should be so great that by comparison, any other love you have in your life seems like, hey, that's what he's saying, is that your devotion to me, if you're going to be my follower, the love that you have, the devotion that you have for me, by comparison with any other relationship you have should look like hate. So Jesus uses this, I love it, this drastic exaggeration to prove a point. He wants the crowd to see that there's a vast difference, right? There's a vast difference between being a spectator and being a disciple. There, There is a difference, and Jesus wants to make it plain right here in Luke chapter 14, that if you're going to be a part of the crowd, that's you're a spectator. You're just kind of watching the show go by. But if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, that's a whole different thing. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, the only thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. You see, what we'll see this morning in this passage is that we have to make a decision. We must decide. Are we going to follow him with complete devotion? And we're going to give all that we have over to him. Or are we going to turn around and go home and say, I'm not willing to give that much. The cost is too high. That's the decision you will see Jesus lay out for his followers and for us this morning in this passage. John records these words in his revelation from God in Revelation chapter 3. He says this. 
God talking here to, to John. He says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Why? Right? right? This is a very, a very, very graphic, uh, detailed thing about you know, how God perceives those who are either hot following him or who are playing games with him. And he says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want anything to do with you. He says, if you say, I'm rich and I have everything I want, I don't need, need anything. And you don't realize that you're a wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, God's word couldn't be clear. He despises the games that, that people play with him. And so we must have decide, be devoted to him or walk away. You can't continue to hang out in the crowd, Jesus says. We either step forward in complete devotion or we walk home and we say, I have everything I want. I don't need Jesus. I was thinking about that this week, that, that kind of that thought and that concept. And you know what? I, I think we see that a lot in our country. I think what we see a lot with people is that because they have everything that, that life um, requires or that they, they could desire in life, that they have all their needs met, they have a warm place to sleep at night, they, they can go to the store and buy clothes, they can go to the grocery store and buy food, they have a car, they have a nice job maybe, you know, all these things that we have in life. Sometimes we can look around, people can look around and go, things are good. Well, what, what else do I need? And so they walk around, they, they, they turn around, they go home, and they say, I don't, I don't know if I need Jesus. Jesus, what do you offer me that I don't already have, right? And that's exactly what he's describing here, is that people that look around and go, I'm rich, I'm, I have all this stuff, why do I need Jesus? And so sometimes in our country, the, the things that we have, the, the, the plenty that we have can be kind of a deterrent for us because we look around and go, for some people, like, well, now you say I need Jesus. Now, why do I exactly need him? Can you explain that to me a little bit more? And then we travel to these other places. Uh, you know, I go to these other countries, and we, we go on these mission trips, and we see all these other people, and it's like they don't have anything, and all they want is Jesus. And it's like, I don't want all that other stuff. I just want Jesus. I'm desperate for Jesus because I know he's the only hope for me. And so that's what God is laying out for us here in Revelations, what he told John. And I think it's a fascinating thing to think about. And so we're going to either take a step forward or we're going to go home. Understand this, though, that if you stick around, Jesus is going to say this. If you stick around, it's only only going to get harder. Look at verse 27. Look at the next verse. Jesus says this. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says, all right, you have to love me in a way that like everything else in your, in your life in comparison's sake looks like hate. And then he throws in this analogy, this thought about the cross. Now for us, we, when we think about Jesus and the cross, we talk, we think about the one that, that he was on and we think about that whole scene and we understand that. But for Jesus' hearers, for the people in that crowd that day, when someone talked about the cross to the Israelite people in the first century, they had a very clear understanding of what crosses were all about. Um, in the book, The Way of the Cross, Skip Gray wrote this. He said, Tradition tells us that around the time that Jesus was a teenager, there was a rebellion near where he lived. The Roman army crushed the rebellion, but they did not want it to happen again, so they crucified. And now think about this, and imagine this. If you're a young person, and, and this, is, this is what you grow up seeing and experiencing, the Romans uh, decided that, that they didn't want this to happen again, so they crucified an Israelite on a cross every 30 feet 
for 10 miles along the road to the city. And so there's this sight. There's this understanding of, of, of the, that Jesus would have remembered as, as a young person of 1,800 people dead or dying in agony on crosses. And Skip Ray said that must have made an indelible impression on the mind of a teenager. Yeah, you think? Long before Jesus' death on the cross, the cross was an ugly, hideous reality. And, and so when Jesus talks about the cross and picking up your cross, he's giving them this picture that they go, Hold on a second. We know what the Romans do to people. We know what those crosses are all about. You're telling us that we need to pick up our cross and follow you. That's what this is going to be like? Yeah, kind of. A lot of them said, okay, that guy, we're out of here, right? Let, let's go home. That large crowd, you can just hear the steps, the footsteps of people like turning around and heading up. Like, we got to get out of here. This guy is talking about dying on a cross. I don't want any part of that. We're going home. And a lot of them did. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that there was no going back. Once a commitment was made to him, it was a total surrender to God's plan. And, and so for us, what's, what's, what's this about? Well, it's an attitude that we are sold out for him. Love for him. Devotion to him. To his, his teachings is the only way forward. There is no plan be. When we look at our, our world and we look at the things going on, we go, all right, how do we navigate this? How do we get through this? How do we fix this? What, what, what is, and God says, there's, there's a plan. There is a way forward and it's following after me, watching the way I lived, understanding what I've taught my followers and the mission that I've given the church and going forward that way. There's, there's no plan B. Let's, let's continue on verse 28. He says this, and here it is. But don't begin. He says, but don't, don't do this. Now, I know there's, there's a lot, there's fewer of you left now. You know, I've told you to hate everyone else. I've told you to pick up your cross. But don't do this until you count the, car, the cost. And then he's, he gives them a, this illustration. It's for who begins construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And Jesus says here, I want you to think about this before you make this decision to be my disciple. Understand that it may cost you greatly. And I don't want you to be surprised or caught off guard when things get tough. I read this, this section of, of scripture this week, and I immediately thought about a time when I was on a, on a mission trip, uh, this was years and years ago now, in Mexico. And we were working in this area, and every e evening and afternoon as we walked back to where we were, we were um, staying, we had to walk through these neighborhoods in Mexico. And, and the first evening we walked through there, and I noticed that the homes looked really strange. And so I asked um, the, the guy, the local that was there with us, that was, was ministering with us that way, I said, well, so what's, what's, what's going on with these homes? Because the, a lot of them looked like they had like two walls constructed, but then they would have a tarp over the third wall and the fourth wall. They would have a tarp over the top. Um, the homes were, were incomplete, but people were, were already living in the homes. You could tell that the, there were kids, you know, maybe bikes out in the yard. You'd see kids and then the wives during the day. And, the, and, the, and so like, I was like, there are people living in these homes, but they look like they're under construction. 
And the guy said, he explained to me that, well, here's, here's what happens in Mexico. Is that, so they, 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 they don't have enough money to go to a bank. This, this doesn't really happen. So they don't go to a bank and get a loan for this construction. They don't go hire a general contractor to build them a home. What they do is they start building their home block by block. And so they would go to work that day, that week. Maybe they would make enough money, extra money to buy a couple of concrete blocks or a bag of concrete extra. So they'd bring that home. They'd set that in the front yard. Uh, they'd go to work the next week, a couple more bags of concrete maybe, maybe some more cinder blocks. And then when they got enough, they'd build another wall. And that's how they built their home. And, and I thought, you know, that, that, that's exactly what I thought about when I read this passage. And I thought, man, you know, we would look at that and go, well, that's silly. That's a, but that's the only way. Those people, they were doing the best they could. We would look at that scenario and go, why don't you just go ahead and purchase it all at once? And they weren't in a position to do that. And so we have to count the cost. Am I willing to pay that much? And Jesus, how much, how much do you need? Let's keep reading, because Jesus uses another analogy, and then he answers that question. How much does it cost? Look at verse 31. He says, Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And then he says this in verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus, you want everything? You want it all? Yeah. I want it all. I want everything. I want part of it. I want 25% or 10% or a portion. I don't want Sundays and Wednesdays. I don't want... I want it all. If you're going to follow me, this passage of Scripture, this chunk of verses in Luke chapter 14, a lot of you in your Bibles, it probably said at the top, there was a subheading that said the cost of discipleship. Right? And so there's this cost. How much does it cost, Jesus, to follow you? It's going to cost you everything. Now, now for us, you know, it's probably not... For, 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 for everyone in this room, it's probably not going to cost you your life. There may be a day when Christians in, in the United States of America may have to be, be asked to give their life or denounce their Jesus. That, that, that day may come, but it, it probably won't happen in, in your lifetime. But what is it for us? It's this attitude that says everything that we have, everything that we've been given, that we've been blessed with, is, is his. And that we use it with these open hands. Not with a tight grip on our stuff, right? On our whatever, our lives. But we say, this is, this is yours, God. You've, it's, it's stewardship, right? This word that we use a lot of times. Like, God, you've given this to me. You've given this to our family. You've allowed us to have this. Everything that, that Melinda and I have and our boys have is a blessing from God. And so we say, God, it is yours. You, you've, you've allowed us to be stewards of it. How can we use it to advance your kingdom here on earth? And so we say, God, here it is. It's your stuff. You've given it to me. How can I use this to bless others, to advance the cause of Christ? 
We look at our lives and go, God, you've given me this one life. I want to use it for you. What do you require of me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to behave? What do you want me to lay down? To not be distracted by, right? Because you've called me to this thing, this incredible mission in life. Jesus, you want it all. He wants us to yield our right of ownership to him. We say, thank you, God, for letting us use these things that ultimately belong to you. But are you willing to let go of some things that maybe get between you and Jesus? I said before that that I believe a lot of the stuff that happens in our our world, our country, that that goes on, I believe a lot of it Satan uses as a distraction for the church. (laughs) It's like Satan's going... (laughs) This week, this week, they're so distracted, they're arguing over masks. This week, this week, you're not going to believe. You know, you know you know what I mean? And it's like we get so distracted about the things of this world. And Jesus says, no, no, I've called you to something that's incredible, that's this mission, that if you'll give your life to it, if you will give it all over to me, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to give you something back that's incredible, that's eternal. It will change your life and the life of your family and friends and neighbors and community for eternity. If you will just give it all over to me and not get distracted by the silliness of this world, but focus on who I am and what I've called you to. We can do some incredible stuff. But first, we have to put some things down. Maybe there are other relationships that from time to time that get in the way, that, that get between us and, and our Jesus. Maybe it's friends and family members. Maybe it's an identity and a certain political ideology that says, this is kind of who I am, and this is what I'm about. And, and, and I kind of forget sometimes. I do some of these things. I bet you do too. Maybe it's a desire to always be heard. Listen to me. I'm right. I know what I'm talking about. Right? Maybe it's a strong opinion about things that Jesus would look at and in his eyes would go, yeah, that's just not important to me right now. But here's what is important. Are you willing to follow me. Will you step across the line and say, Jesus, I give it all to you? Or will you turn around and walk home saying, I've got everything I need. I'm comfortable and I'm rich and I'm good. And God looks at that person and goes, you're miserable. You're naked. You're homeless. You're destitute. You have nothing. Nothing that I've offered, but maybe everything that this world could offer you. I, I ran across some, some words. I was reminded of a passage of Scripture this week that I think is, is really inspiring and encouraging. And maybe you'll find it helpful as well this morning as we close. It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says this. Luke, the author of the, the book that we're studying this year in 2020, wrote these words in Acts. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ 
the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Luke said that my life's nothing if I don't finish my race, if I don't finish my assignment from Jesus. Telling others about the good news and the wonderful grace of God. And, and, I, and I think that's probably going to be my life first for the rest of my life. Is my life's nothing. God, my life is nothing if I don't share with others your good news about your love and about your son, about the gospel and about your grace and mercy. And so here's the big idea this morning. Here's the kind of the final thought. The church... Jesus' church has the only message that will fix the woes of our country and the world. And here's what he does. He calls you, calls me out of the darkness. He gives us this new life and he sets us on a new mission. Let's finish our passage this morning. It says this in verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, Jesus says, but it loses its flavor. How do you make it salty again? Jesus loved to talk about salt. In Matthew chapter 5, he talked about the, the Christians being the salt of the earth, that you would be the ones that would be the salt of this, salt and light. So he, he kind of brings that back here. He says that, that salt's good for seasoning. We, we've talked about salt, but if it loses its flavor, how, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. And he says anyone who hears, has ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus finishes with this analogy of salt. He says, salt is this change agent. When salt is introduced into the mix, right, it can preserve meat, it can melt ice, it can make uh, change, you know, the, the, the ingredients of food, you add it to the ingredients, it changes the flavor of, of whatever you're making, right? It changes things when it's introduced into the picture. And so he says, for, for you, for my followers, for my disciples, you are, you are that salt, and so when you are, and when you go about life in this world, you should, you should change. You should be, you know what you should be? You should be this community. Yeah. Of changed lives that make a difference that, that always point people back to me that, that say, you know what? Let's stop. We've gotten off track. We've kind of gotten distracted. I want to, I want to point you back to what really matters. Right. Let's focus on that and see where that takes us. Disciples recognize their potential to impact others for Jesus. We won't be perfect, but we're called and we're challenged to make a difference in this world, one person at a time. And if we cease to be agents of change, we lose our usefulness, Jesus says. When we allow things of this world to distract us and knock us off mission, he says we're no longer effective. Oh, man, I, I hope he never looks at our church and says, distracted, you're off mission. You're just not, not useful anymore to me. We become lukewarm and we morph into a pile of flavorless salt and we lose our divine purpose. And so Jesus says, count the cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Or will you turn around and when you go home and will you say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need anything from Jesus. The only thing Christianity can never be, the only thing Christianity can never be, 
is moderately important. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we thank you for today. I thank you for our time together here as a church, time to celebrate, to worship you, to share in in communion together. God, I thank you for this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 14 that reminds us of the cost of discipleship and that when we sometimes are tempted to to play games with you, that, that you despise that and it repulses you. And so, God, may we never be a, a person or a church that does that going forward. And, God, I, my prayer this morning, if there's an individual sitting here today that, that needs to, to step across that line and say, I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life because I've tried it my way, and it's just an empty pit. And I know I need Jesus, and he has to be my Savior and my King. God, if there's somebody here this morning that that needs to make that decision, I pray that you would encourage them to to reach out to one of our pastors. We'll we'll be down here at the front after this service today. We'd love to pray with them and talk to them about what that means, what it means to follow after you with all of our lives, to give everything to you in this attitude of open-handed surrender and to say, God, you take my life and you use it because you are the great I am. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for worshiping with us this morning. I got a couple announcements before I let you guys get out of here. Uh, one, the first thing is uh, this coming Saturday, we're doing a thing called Help Build Hope. And so it's an opportunity. We're partnering with uh, Crossroads Missions, who's one of our missions partners, Habitat for Humanity here in Shelbyville. We're also partnering with Midland Community Church, Southeast Christian Church, and our church as well. We're coming together to uh, frame some walls for a house that's going to be built for a family here in Shelbyville. And so Saturday morning on, on our back lot back here, uh, there's going to be about 80 people. from. Um, uh, we'll have about 25 or 30, hopefully, from our church, and we're going to split those volunteers up between the three churches uh, and some other volunteers uh, to house the or to frame those walls. This is a really easy, fun project. We're going to be able to spread out. Hopefully, it'll be great weather on the parking lot. Uh, you'll be able to do that with your family, with your small group, with whoever can bring your kids, grandkids, uh, wear masks do all that stuff we'll be outside so you won't have, but but it'll be able to we'll be able to do this and it'll be a great opportunity for us to just serve in this way we're we don't have a lot of opportunities this summer to do stuff just because of you know the situation we're in so this is something that that i thought hey this would be a great opportunity for us to kind of mobilize some volunteers to maybe serve so if you're interested in doing that there's a, a banner on our website that gives you the information there's a video there there's a place where you can sign up we're going to meet up here saturday morning eight o'clock we'll be done by, by lunchtime so it only it only takes a few hours we'll frame those uh, walls and then we'll keep them in our barn here until that house is ready uh, for those. I think they broke the ground this week on that home here in Shelbyville. So it's going to go to a family uh, that's here in Shelbyville. So if you want to be a part of that, it's called Help Build Hope uh, and it's on our website. Uh, Lastly, uh, we have hired a new children's minister. And so uh, Tiffany Roberts, you guys uh, may know Tiffany. Some of you know Tiffany. Come on up. Um, Tiffany accepted the call this week uh, to be our children's minister. And 
Um, I'm going to try not to get emotional. I'm going to try to do this three times today. But Tiffany uh, grew up here at Shelby Christian. Gosh, when were you, like, seventh grade? She started coming to our student ministry when I was the youth minister here in seventh grade um, with a bunch of girls, her friends, and they were, it was crazy. It was fun. It was a fun time. I was a new young youth minister, and she was in, in middle school. And so we have just grown up together. Uh, I pick on her a lot and treat her like a little sister, probably. Um, and so I'm just excited. I love uh, seeing what God's doing uh, in her life over the years. She's been a teacher at Southside for, I mean, 12 years. And so she's transitioning out of teaching uh, to be our children's minister. She's going to start tomorrow, uh, hit the ground running. And so Alex is going to work with her to transition um, her into our children's ministry. So we just wanted you guys uh, to know about that. I mean, a lot of you know Tiffany already and, and, and uh, know who she is. So we're excited about that. I want to pray for her. Uh, and then as uh, when we're done with that, you guys will be dismissed. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, we thank you uh, for folks who hear the call um, to follow after you in, in these ways. And so, God, I thank you for, for Tiffany. I thank you for her life. I thank you for just what the, the person that she is and the, the, um, the example that she's been to so many children and, and young girls and students over the years um, here at Shelby Christian Church and, and in the community. And, God, we, we thank you um, for her and her life and her willingness to come on our team and to lead our team of adults and children in children's ministry. And we just ask uh, your blessing on her as she transitions into that uh, over the next few days and weeks and months as we uh, start this new school year. We know it's going to be a crazy season, a crazy year with, with everything else going on with school and this crazy virus and, and everything else. So there's a lot of unknowns uh, in the future for, for the school system and, 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 and for children's ministry and those kind of things. But we know that you, um, nothing surprises you and, and you are still uh, in control and you're still the great I am. So we put all this in your hands. We thank you uh, for today. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Y'all have a great week and we'll hope to see you guys back here next weekend.